0: Hey everyone and welcome back to the 20-Minute Marketing Podcast. I hope you are having a great day and thank you for joining us for our first official episode in February. I know that we released a bonus episode on Monday with James from SalesFire So technically that was our first episode of the month, but since it was unplanned and we sort of threw it out there um, unexpectedly, I'll still crown this one our first official release of the month. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm glad that January is out of the way. It's definitely my least favourite month of the year. I'm also really looking forward to this week because it is Super Bowl week, Um, so have a long night in store on Sunday, as I'm sure some of our listeners will do as well. For those of you that are new to the show, my name is Liam and I work as Head of Marketing at Reach Interactive. We are a global SMS marketing provider and every Wednesday we release a new episode of this podcast where I interview a guest expert on a marketing related topic. This week is going to be a fun one because I'm joined by David Cooper from Fountain Partnership, which is an amazing digital agency based out of Norwich. If you have been following the show for a while then you might recognize Fountain because we had Jake Surrey and Gemma Russell on the show. They joined us for episode 31 and 32 to talk about Google Ads and they were two of the best episodes that we've ever had so I jumped on the opportunity to chat with David and have a Fountain reunion which I'm looking forward to. So with that said hey David welcome to the show and how's it going? Not bad, thank you Liam, cheers for having me, and I hope I managed to live up to
1: the expectations set by Jake and Gemma.
0: Yeah, that's good to hear and I'm sure that you will. So could you spend a minute telling us about yourself, please, before we get started?
1: Sure, so my name is David Cooper and I am Fountain's Marketing Manager. Uh, What I do is lead the strategy to promote our digital marketing service, but particularly our values-driven approach to growing businesses. I actually started my career client side, managing marketing, and, but particularly coordinating with agencies. But the number of them that employed unethical tactics uh, to try and do as little as possible for as much as possible just drove me insane. So I sought change in this industry. And it's this ethical focus that drove me to Fountain several years ago, as they cared about this too. and First... Uh, as a digital marketing consultant, executing our client strategies, and now as marketing manager, focusing on our own outbound activity.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So, we've got a really interesting topic that we're going to be talking about, which is moral marketing and why it makes more money, which has a nice overlap with the introduction that you just gave us, David. So, stay tuned and we'll get started. As I mentioned in the introduction, we're going to be talking about why moral marketing makes more money. So, we'll start with a few basic questions that come into my head when I think of the words moral marketing, and then we'll see where things go and sort of see where the conversation takes us. I think first of all, then David, this might be a long one to answer, so feel free to take your time. but how would you define being moral in your marketing and how does that correlate with making more money?
1: yeah, it is it's a big question, but I think actually it could be answered pretty simply, and I think overall um it's about being honest in what you're selling and how your marketing campaigns are performing not just doing it but having the mindset for it so part of this would be being transparent with your internal team so showing actual results showing impacts on roi and profits rather than a certain other metrics and being honest if things aren't working the question i think people should ask themselves are are you having a positive financial impact on your company or are you just killing time i think a lot of people do stuff because they've been told to because they have a nine to five job and they just get on with it, but they don't realize the actual impact they're having. And it might even be negative in a lot of situations. And the other part of this is being transparent with your customers or clients. So if your service or product isn't for them, then don't sell it to them. I think it's about selling your product or service for the purpose it has, rather than just to make a sale and hit some targets. Otherwise you'll be profiteering off the back of people And they get nothing. So I think a big part of this is definitely making sure that your messaging and your targeting is very suited and narrow to the audience that you're really trying to help. The big thing is
0: to be able to say, how can I help my customers rather than how can I make money? I'm really surprised by your answer there, because I had planned some questions about being moral in marketing, and I just assumed that it would all be about the consumer side and how brands can develop a great image. So it's really interesting that you've mentioned the internal side of things, but you are absolutely right. I think there is so much that goes on in marketing and other pillars of business that lead to waste and generate poor results, but we do them because we're told to, or it's the industry standard, or we just get comfortable doing them. So let's say that someone is listening then and they want to start that journey of becoming more moral from both an internal and a customer standpoint. What are some of the things that they can do and is there a way to monitor progress and ensure that they are achieving those goals? You've you kind of just said the word actually that
1: is is the first step and that's monitoring. So I think actually monitoring, genuinely tracking accurately the effects and performance of marketing on whatever you know whatever client it is or if you're in house on your own targets and seeing where that spend is best used and actually really what is the the return on that so by looking at this you can see actually how profitable your campaigns are being and if they aren't and you can raise that with the team and it doesn't mean that necessarily some individual is to blame and there's because I think that's a large part of of where things go wrong it's more about just seeing what doesn't work and what does work and being able to address the things that don't work. So starting internally and building out from there is actually the best place um, to start doing this. And only when you've got this internally set up, then you can move on to uh, being more honest and transparent with your customers, bringing those same numbers. So something we do in Fountain is have data studio. So our clients can log in anytime, whenever they want and see whatever results they want. And it's the same thing that our internal teams are looking at. So we're all sharing the same data. And as I said, there's this question that you need to be asking all the time is, how can I help my customers? How can I help my clients more? Instead of saying, how can I make more money from them? And where's the profitability for us? There is, in certain instances, uh, an element of sacrifice where you may have to do the hard thing, but the right thing of making a small sacrifice but to help your clients and customers, which ultimately has uh, much bigger gains for you. I've seen and also heard about a lot of instances where agencies, marketing agencies like ourselves, but in lots of ways not like ourselves, will actually hide numbers from clients or make upsells where there really is no need um, to upsell. But then the client leaves because they're unhappy with the service. That's not what we do. We try and make sure that everything we do is for the client's benefit. And that way they stay with us for longer, they benefit more, we benefit more. So ultimately, it means that on the commercial side of things, being moral actually helps everyone.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think with everything that's gone on in the last 12 months, we need to be transparent and honest with our internal and external communications. Um, So there's no reason to put unnecessary pressure on people and yourself. Just be honest with those results and say them as they are. And I think considering the situation with COVID, employers should anticipate changes. But if you are going to exaggerate those results, then you are putting your company or your clients at risk in the long term. Moving on to my next question. I'm really curious to know if you think that there are any trends that businesses have been latching onto over the last few years that you think we might need to move away from and can perhaps improve.
1: There are to me two that really do stand out and they are very intrinsically linked. The first one is abusive data uh, that gets a lot of publicity. And I think since Cambridge Analytica, it's been far more on everyone's uh, in everyone's eyesight. There are now loads of laws um, in place um, in various different parts of the world to kind of uh, measure this as much as possible and restrict it as much as possible. But there are still people out there that are able to to abuse data. And collect it as well in ways that maybe aren't quite so transparent. People should be able to know what they're signing up for, and what they're going to receive as well, and how their data is being used. And there are many platforms out there, many other agencies that will not be so transparent about how they're using it. I think one one particular area of this where I think that there needs to be a lot more clamping down on is the kind of politicism of marketing and the use of ads for political persuasion, so a lot of platforms have actually uh, combated this quite well. I believe Twitter back in October, 2020 said that they weren't going to push uh, political ads. There are still many other platforms out there that do allow them. uh, And it does lead to voter manipulation. The other part, which is almost on the other side of the coin is the untrue portrayal of how data is used in marketing which is overwhelmingly negative, Um, despite what I've just said as well, I've probably not helped help that, but um, it uses incorrect imagery to overhype how data is used. Um, When in truth, we can't really see any individual's data or messages or anything like that. We see big groups of data in the form of numbers, not words and names attached to them. So I have no idea what Joe Bloggs has clicked on or hasn't clicked on or bought from or not. But what we can see is how many clicks or interactions, one ad got versus another. We can't see who clicked or interacted, but we know how many people did. So there isn't that kind of eagle eye that marketers have over people. That's just not true. But as I mentioned earlier, there are instances such as in politics where people have, have used this big data to persuade people and the best marketing really does try and get down as close as they can to a narrow audience. But the whole point of that is to make sure that we're serving the most relevant ads, which are pushing the most relevant products and services to those individuals. Ideally, well, the the ideal, and I'm definitely being an idealist here, is to make sure that we're giving people the most relevant things to their lives that are on sale. Unfortunately, as mentioned, this doesn't always happen. And one thing that, um, in fact, my colleague Jake, who you spoke to on the other uh, webinar, one thing we've been looking at is how marketing is the second least trusted profession generally out there. The only one that's more least trusted are politicians. And Ipsos annual report on trust has been going for 10 years and and shows this. What is even more harrowing about this is that PricewaterhouseCoopers, BWC, noted how trust was the third most important factor in retaining customers for emerging tech. And marketing is big in emerging tech. So the fact that One of the most important factors to retain our clients is something that we are considered the second worst at is really concerning. So, again, actually having that trust, being good and putting the customer first, showing honesty and transparency
0: will really work. Yeah, it is very interesting. And you made some great points there. I think data does help us make decisions in all part of marketing, uh, which ultimately helps consumers because we're giving them a better experience. But there are some negatives. This is slightly off topic, but it does overlap with data. One article that I found really interesting recently, um, which I'll add to the show notes, is all about the length of time that it would take to read the terms and conditions of the major platforms that we use. I think YouTube was the shortest at 13 minutes, TikTok and Spotify came in at 30 minutes, and then Microsoft was over an hour, which is actually longer than some books. So we all know that nobody is reading them. But big companies should do a better job, I think, of showing people how their data is being used and how it's collected. And again, sort of when I put on my consumer head, I'm the type of person that can get annoyed when I'm followed around the web by remarketing ads all day, especially when I've visited a site purely for content purposes or things like that and have no intention of and then I have no intention of purchasing from them in the future.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree with that. That's a really good point. And on retargeting and remarketing. The, again, it's, it comes back to that question: How can I help the, the consumer, the client, the customer? What are you actually retargeting them with? Is it just another ad with your logo on it, or actually is it something something helpful? Is it you know a product that is linked to a product that they bought before or might want but haven't actually looked at on your website? In which case, it's new information, so it could be helpful to them. Or is it actually in a more B two B sense. Uh, is it a white paper? Is it a report that has information that's relevant to their sector? So uh, yeah, I completely
0: agree. It's, it can be annoying, but only if it's not relevant. Completely agree with that. I think providing customers or prospects with free content that might not directly lead to a sale can be a great way to build trust and awareness. So since we're talking about remarketing, I think it would make sense to ask you about social media and the customer side of moral marketing. So social media has given brands a platform to voice their opinion and I personally feel like we're seeing more and more companies take the leap and share their views on ethical issues um, such as social or environment and things like that. Do you think all businesses should try and get involved and what are some of the benefits or risks to doing that?
1: I absolutely agree. I definitely think any and all companies that can get on social media and start voicing opinions outside of just you know, they think their product's great and definitely should do that. It also really helps uh, certain causes and beliefs as well uh, that may not have uh, financial backing to to actually get onto platforms. So it really does give uh, extra voice to really, really good causes. But it must be done in earnest. And it's not just about jumping on a bandwagon or getting publicity. You've actually got to be and believe the, uh, the the change and the causes that you, you really are voicing on social media. I mean, an example, again, is Fountain. So we've pledged to plant a million trees by 2025. So we're being vocal about environmental issues in stuff we do on social media. And we're not going to gain commercially from this. We're paying to have trees planted. We're doing it because as individuals, we're really passionate about it. So, I've decided to make it a cause for Fountain as well, and it's a cause that we think really does deserve, uh, you know, extra backing from companies like ourselves that can afford to do that. Uh, I both Marcus, uh, one of our founders, and myself are actually uh, top fifty tree planters in the world on Ecology website, and we we've also got Fountain into the top ten. And it's so this isn't just something that we talk about; it's something that we do. Ourselves and as a company. And that is where the difference lies again between doing something and talking about doing something and actually having the mindset for it.
0: Absolutely. And I think consumers are getting a lot smarter now. So if a company or a celebrity says one thing and then does another thing, um, or maybe doesn't act on it, then there's a good chance that you will get called out. People have too much time on their hands and they will find out if you are um, doing something and then saying something else. So following on from that question on social media, and particularly referring to LinkedIn. What are your thoughts on businesses allowing their employees to have the freedom to share their own thoughts and beliefs? Um, Do you think it should be encouraged, or could it present a risk to communication standards or brand image?
1: So I've actually got a really good story about this, and it was when I was an ambassador for my university several years ago, UEA, I helped out with uh, an education day kids on social media. And it taught them to be careful about what they shared using examples uh, from some big uh, conglomerates, Facebook and Apple, where employees had been let go for the things they shared on social media. I'm not sure if I agree with this. There are certain times when you think, OK, maybe you probably shouldn't have said that. You, you know, you've slagged off a colleague unnecessarily or something like that, which is probably not the best thing to say on social media. But I think we should definitely be pushing for individual opinions because it generates a discussion and diversity, which are important both to individuals and to companies to learn how to progress in ways that generate the most benefit for the most people. If we don't know what other people think, how can we know what benefits them? So listening and hearing to other opinions is definitely a good thing. Even if they aren't necessarily exactly on brand, Uh, It shows the diversity again in the people that work in the company and it breeds this positive company culture by allowing employees the voice they have so they feel more trusted and empowered, which numerous studies have shown drives more commercial success in in a lot of companies. There's a great book, Reinventing Organizations, which uh, delves into this a lot more. So I think the main thing is to share opinions, but don't be insulting. <laughs> and as a side point as well, people are going out less or unable to go out as much as they should do due to the pandemic. And this is, you know, we've already seen this is only going to continue in the future. A lot of companies have actually got rid of their offices entirely. So social media is becoming more and more important to human interaction and maintaining contact with each other. So this shouldn't be stifled. And I think in those situations where you may disagree with your company, you may disagree with your boss, with a colleague on something major, have an internal discussion before complaining in public. Actually talk about it as individuals. And if there's still division, have respect
0: that not everyone agrees on the same things and that's fine. Yeah, that's a really great point. And I think the benefit of allowing your employees to talk is that they usually have a bigger reach Especially on LinkedIn. I know that my posts, for example, get seen a lot by a lot more people than our company posts. I know that that's not always the case. So, to close out this main section, then, do you have any examples, maybe of yourselves at Fountain, where you've seen a clear ethical improvement and the impact that it's had?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Fountain are a great example there. And this is going back to a a speech that one of our founders, uh, Rebecca Lewis Smith, gave, gosh, a few years ago now, where we realized that not everything might be going right with Fountain. And there was a bit of a disconnect between leadership and the team. And what we did was we had this fantastic, it was pretty much a, a day where the whole team got together and we looked at what was wrong with Fountain. We looked at the things that we wanted to change and the things that we, we wanted to keep. And we did this, this the leader, leadership team, the four founders and uh, Alice uh, left the room So we had complete free reign to say whatever we wanted and, and put them in sticky notes up on a board so they wouldn't even know who had said them as well. Then when we were done, they came back in the room and we kind of talked about how we could change these things, what we could do. Some of them were small things, some of them were really big things. And then from that, what I think was even more brave was Rebecca then did a speech about this in front of an auditorium full of people at UEA and actually talked openly about how we overcame our issues and how we had issues. So it goes back to what I was saying right at the beginning about being honest and transparent.
0: Yeah, it's a really cool example. And it shows that you have seen firsthand the benefit of improving internally and what that can do sort of from a moral standpoint. So you've shared some great points, David, and I hope our listeners are able to take them on board um, by questioning some of the things that they're doing individually as a team or overall in their business and striving to make improvements. We are going to close out this main section right here. So I'll be asking David two quick questions that are fun and lighthearted to close out the episode. So stay tuned for a few more minutes. So we're going to close out the episode with our usual questions that I like to ask every guest that joins us. I get a wide range of answers, so it's always a fun part of the show. So my first question, David, is do you have a memorable story that stands out when you look back on your career? It could be something funny, cringeworthy, inspirational, or a little bit crazy.
1: Honestly, my career has not been the longest, but already I have a menagerie of madness behind me. And I think I'm going to start right at the beginning. The first three months of my career, I worked out of some guy's dining room. And he was the person I was learning from and actually the guy I was sort of replacing and being on his way out. And there was some internal politics going on. So he just didn't care. He really didn't, and he would do everything he would uh, to not work, despite still having significant shares in the company. And God knows how many hours he wasted doing this, but I swear to you the truth is more bizarre than anything I could come up with. So one time uh, he appeared in the room with a bottle of whiskey signed by Tony Blair that he had won at auction, Uh, and another time showed me a video game that he he had actually made And it was a full-on official video game for a huge Disney movie. So don't get me wrong, it was very fun. But I look back and I say that out loud to people and I realise just how bonkers it really was.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a unique story that is unlike any other that we've had on the show. Sounds like you had an interesting introduction to the world of marketing though. Um, So I have one final question before we finish the episode. And that is, do you have a favorite resource that you think might help listeners with their daily tasks? So it could be a blog, a newsletter, a plugin, a hardback book or something like that.
1: So I think my new favorite tool, courtesy of one of my mentors, is Miro. It's great for, you know, managing and coordinating teams, personal organization, task organization. And what you can do with it is create mind maps funnels, sticky notes, task lists, diagrams, basically anything, any way you can think of organizing stuff, you can do it all in one place. It's a great way to kind of add a visual aid to that. So you can clearly see all of the different teams that you're working with, all the different individuals, all the tasks that need doing. And for for me especially, it improves um, our communication as a team and our accountability as well. So we all know exactly who's got what assignment.
0: Yeah, that's a really good one. Thanks for sharing it with us. I also don't think it's ever been mentioned on the show before too, which is cool. We're going to end the episode right here. Thank you for being a great guest, David, and bringing a new topic to the show. I really appreciate you joining us and I've learned a lot from your insights. So thanks to everyone who has listened. We'll be back next week where we'll be talking about influencer marketing and we have a really great guest lined up that's definitely not going to hold back on his thoughts. So I'm looking forward to that one. We'll see you soon.